0: All right. if y'all would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17. 1 Kings, chapter 17. Before you stand, I want to tell you a little story. Um, As most of you know, um, I grew up, the biggest part of my life, just me and my brother. My brother was, uh, is, two years younger than me. Um, Elizabeth come along... When I was about 10 years old. So most of my stories from my childhood don't include me and my brother and my sister. It was just me and my brother. Because I was 10 before she was born. And by the time she was big enough to play with and do anything, I didn't like her. <laughs> that, I was about 13, 14 years old. And that's a true story. And, and, it, and I, was, I was, she was 21 before I decided I did like her, I think. Um, <laughs> But anyway, so growing up, it was just me and my brother, and, and he was two years younger than me, and I spent a lot of time talking him into things. <laughs> our, our adventures varied. We lived different places, sometimes way out in the country, sometimes in the middle of town, so it was always up to us to find our own adventures and, and to figure out things to do to entertain ourselves. Um, and it was, a, it was a wild ride. I had a great childhood. I loved everything about my childhood. Um, even as I look back on it today, we had a wonderful time. We had a lot of fun. But a lot of times it was at Thomas' expense that we had that fun. <laughs> we weren't very old when Mom and Dad bought us a three-wheeler and a four-wheeler. I had a 110 Kawasaki and he had a 50 Suzuki four-wheeler. Mine was a three-wheeler. His was a little bitty thing, and it had this safety belt on it, and you would put that belt, or was supposed to put that belt around your waist, and if you fell off, it would unplug and kill the four-wheeler so it couldn't keep going. It was a safety deal. Well, he never wore that, so it flopped around behind him back there in the wind, you know, as he rode along because you couldn't disconnect it or it, would, it wouldn't run. Well, I, I told him one day, I talked him into, let's, let's play this game where I, I, you take off and let's see how far you can get before I catch you on my three-wheeler and I'll pull that plug. No, we better not do that. Yeah, yeah, we should do that. Trust me, Thomas, it'll be fun. <laughs> so he strikes out across the field and, and I strike out behind him and I get up there and in my mind, see, that wasn't the whole story. In my mind, the fun of this was going to be, once I pull that, he can't go nowhere. He's dead in the water, and I'm riding around with his little safety thingy that lets him get back into action. On top of that, he's two years younger than me, and he's not big enough to pull the rope to start it. So the first round we make, I pull the little cord thing, and it's all ha ha giggles and, you know, everything. And I throw the, the little thing at him, and I make a circle, and I come back over there, and I start it for him. So now I've got him talked into this game, and it's fun and it's cool, right? Trust me, Thomas, it'll be fun. So now I get him to the far end of the, to us, a 40-acre field. I'm sure it was three, (laughs) but but we was to the far corner. I said, go that way, go that way. And he takes off across through there, and I pull that cord out, and I go, ha-ha, and turn and go back to the house. And there he sits, dead in the water. Trust me, Thomas, it'll be fun. We get a little older, we moved to town, and we live where my mom and dad live now, and we used to play at this place. It was a magical place to us. <laughs> These big, huge piles of rocks and big, huge piles of dirt mounds. I later found out it's called the wastewater treatment plant. <laughs> <laughs> We played there. That big pile of dirt. <laughs> we didn't know. <laughs> Trust me, Thomas. It'll be fun. We would get on the top of that big mound of dirt, and these weeds would grow. And in the fall of the year, you could put, they would die, and it would be a stalk about yay long. You could pull it, pull it out of the ground, and when you threw it, that root ball become the heavy end, and that thing would fly through the air. We would get up on top, pull those out, and play king of the mountain, and whoever was coming up the sides, you stood at the top and throwed it at them. (laughs) Trust me, Thomas, it'll be fun. And he was striking up through there, and I pulled one of them things out, and I slung it straight down that hill, and it caught him right there. And his head split open and blood went to pouring. And I went, oh, Daddy's going to kill me. <laughs> Not, how are you, Thomas? Are you okay? It was, don't cry, don't tell Daddy. And he was in a dead run for his bicycle. So I come running off the hill to get on my bicycle. And he's got a little head start on me. And he's headed back to, ta- back to the house to tell Daddy that I hit him in the face with this thing. After I told him, trust me, Thomas, it'll be fun. And the only thing I knew to do to stop him was kick him off the bicycle. So I caught I called him. <laughs> and side kicked him off the bicycle and, and now he face plants now he's now it's blood everywhere <laughs> please don't tell daddy please don't tell daddy so as we got older trust me Thomas it'll be fun became his warning and what I was really saying to him was don't do this you're going to get hurt <laughs> right because it was a it was a pattern it it was pulling the four-wheeler plug and leaving him stranded in the in the field it was throwing um Clods of dirt and hitting him in the face and then kicking him off the bicycle. Trust me, Thomas, it'll be fun, became no fun for him. Trust me, it'll be fun. This morning, I want to take your trust to a different place and allow you to learn and understand and know that there's only one that can be trusted. And it's not Nick. (laughs) 1 First, uh, First Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 1. We're going to read all the way through it, and then we'll back up and, and, and go over it a little bit at a time and see how far we get. Trust me, Thomas, it'll be fun. Now, Elijah the Tishabite of Tishbe in Gilead, "...said to Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word." And the word of the Lord came to him, "...depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there." So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. In verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise and go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. I, only ha- I, ha- I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said and she and her her household ate For many days the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. After this the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son?" And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. You may be seated. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do humble ourselves before you to say thank you again for this opportunity to be gathered in your house. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity to minister to these, to to preach your word to these, Father. And I just pray for your continued guidance and direction. Father, throughout our services this morning, that you would allow your presence to be seen and felt in everything that's said and done. Father, I pray that you are glorified this morning and not me, that nothing that um, is of my opinion that would come out of my mouth, Father, but only what you would have me to speak. I just pray, Father, for you to continue to open our hearts and minds and and allow us to see your presence. Allow us to feel your presence in our personal lives, Father, that, that this word of yours may change us. Father, I, I, again, I thank you, I love you, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Elijah, nobody, everybody's pretty well familiar with the story of Elijah and, 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 the, and the brook and the ravens feeding him and the, and the, and the widow and, and all of this story. But I want to use this story to show you that above anything else in this world, you can trust God. You you can trust His Word. you You can trust His power. You can trust His timing. You can trust everything about God. He is trustworthy. He's the only one that is trustworthy because if you trust someone like me, you'll probably get hurt. But if you'll trust God, you'll have nothing to worry about. And it's hard to do sometimes because we as people want to fix things. We want to touch things. We want to make things what we want them to be. We want to make the timing what we need it to be. We really, really, really have a hard time keeping our hands off of things. We have this big plan in our mind and we have this big big idea in our head and we want to make it happen the way that we dream it up. When really what we have to do is step back and just trust God. And I assure you that I understand that it's hard. It's hard to just trust God some days. It's hard to trust His timing. It's hard to trust His planning. But I can assure you that if you can do it, if you can muster it up, if you can understand and realize, and if you can apply this word to your life, and you can wholeheartedly walk through this life trusting God, when you get to the end of it, they'll look at you and go, now that I know you are a man of God. You can get to the end of this thing, and just like the widow said about Elijah, that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. They'll say those things about you. But first, you've got to learn how to trust God. And first, you've got to know that He is trustworthy. And I want to show you that through what Elijah experienced this morning. And and I want you to know that I want to give you just a little bit of context to where we're at. And and this can be found in, in chapter 16. Ahab is the king of Judah at this time. And Ahab, in, verse, in chapter 16, verses 29, 30, 32, and 33, is described as the most evil king that has ever been in Judah. He's done more evil than all of those before him, is how the Bible says it. So what you're about to see Elijah have to do, is especially tough because this is an evil king. This is not a godly king. This king has set up altars and temples to Baal. This, this king has set up uh, temples to other gods. This is an evil, evil king that we're talking about. And Elijah has been called to go and stand before this king. And in verse 1, Elijah the Tishabite of Tishbe and Galilee said to Ahab, the most evil king to this point ever in Judah, this is what he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now God gave Elijah a hard message. And he said, You've got to go and tell this king, the most evil king there is, That until you say otherwise, there is going to be no rain. There is going to be no dew. A famine is coming. A drought is coming. Times are going to be hard. And I'm trusting you, Elijah, to go and tell this king and and make sure that he understands this is from me. This is a message from your God, Elijah. How many times has God asked you to do or say something and you looked at the person and went, "Uh uh-uh. Not them. I'll tell anybody else but them. That you, God, you don't know how mean that person is. God, you don't know the history I have with that person. God, you don't, you don't understand what it's going to be like to stand in front of them and proclaim your gospel. I've been there. Uh, I, I, know what the, I ain't going to say I know what Elijah felt, but I've been there. When, when the instruction was hard to deliver, sometimes it's a one-on-one situation, sometimes it's a work atmosphere situation, sometimes it's from the pulpit. And you look at the message and you look at God and go, no, no, not, not to them. I can't say that. But you know what I figured out a long time ago? You just got to trust God. You just got to trust That whatever God has called you to do, He has also equipped you to do. It's not about my abilities and my knowledge and my understanding. It's about trusting God and just being a vessel for His Word. That's all. That's all my responsibility is, is to just be obedient. Just trust God. Look at verse uh, verse 2 and 3. And the word of the Lord came to him. Now look. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. Elijah, you said what I said say. Now run. <laughs> go. Get out of there. Go and hide yourself by the brook Cherith. You got to go. You can't stay here, Elijah. You did what I asked you to do. Now you got to go. Go. Have you ever been in a situation where you did what God said do, and then he goes, oh, I can't believe you've done that. Get out of there. See, God didn't change his mind. He's not caught off guard by the evil of Ahab. He knew this was the plan the whole time. But if he give it to Elijah that way, if he give it to us that way, we would not never do the first part if we knew the second part meant we had to go. Right? Right? If we knew it, it was so dangerous for us that we needed to leave. But listen, God is constantly providing. You've got to learn how to trust Him. If He says, say it, you just say it. And then when He says, run, you better run. But see, He didn't just tell Him to run away. He gave Him a place to run to. Right? See, that's the difference with us. We get scared and we just want to run away and we just run blind. I used to pick on Sean a whole lot because y'all know he was legally blind. But he would oftentimes tell me, I can do anything you can do except drive. And the only reason I can't drive is because the state of Tennessee says I can't drive. He said, but anytime you want to race, me and you'll meet at midnight and race through any woods you want to race through. No, I'm out. <laughs> because see, then the 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 field just became level, didn't it? See, now I can't see no better than he can. But because of his lack of sight, his other senses are heightened and mine ain't, right? And he'd say, trust me, Nick, it'll be fun. (laughs) I said, no, Sean, I don't trust you and it won't be fun. See that when you and I think of running, we're running from something, right? And it's just like running through the woods in the dark, which unless you're Sean, you don't want to do. Because you can't see and you can't. But with God, when He says go, He's not telling us to run from something. He's telling us to run to something, right? He told Elijah to go to Cherith. You need to get out from in front of this king and not be there, but you need to go to Cherith. Because, see, God already had this plan laid out, right? What we're trusting is God's ability to not let us down, to not fail. What we're trusting is God's ability to see the entire story way before it ever plays out, right? And he's capable of that. He's capable. Before he gave the first instructions, he already knew the next instructions would be necessary. So he sent him to Sheriff. Now, I want you to think about something, because it took me a bunch of times of looking at this, reading this, preaching this, teaching this, for a long time before this ever registered in my mind. Now, you may be smarter than me, and you may have got it the first time, and if you did... Good for you, here's your cookie. But for the rest of us, verse 2 says, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. Verse 3, uh, verse 4 You shall drink from the brook. Now, hang on, God. You just told me to tell this king. In verse 1, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now you want me to go and stay at a place where I'm going to get water from a brook. Does any of y'all just want to take a random guess at what supplies water to brooks? The The rain. The rain. So God said, "Go, stay here. Get get out from in front of this king. Go get here. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. You're gonna be drinking from the brook, and I'm gonna command the birds, the ravens, to feed you meat and bread." And Elijah did it. Elijah just just trusted. He didn't stop and go. Hey, wait a minute, God. You said drink from the brook, but you said there's gonna be a drought. You said no rain, no dew which leads me to believe that this brook's eventually going to run out. Are you sure this is a good plan, God? Because, see, that's what I do. When God gives me His plan, I sit in front of Him and and try to analyze it all and make sure it's a good plan. before. Ain't that right? Ain't that human nature? Ain't that what we want to do? See, we want to know what happens in the end before we start reading the book, right? Because if it ain't going to be no good, we ain't going to waste our time on it, right? We want to know how it comes out before it starts, That's just human nature. So when God gives us a plan, we want to know the whole plan, the result of the plan, before we start. And we start questioning every step of the plan. You see, a long time ago, God started preparing myself and my wife for something we had no idea was coming. Our desire, our whole lives, the whole time, listen, we dated in high school. We've been together Since I was 16 years old, I'm 41 today. Bless her. Somebody said bless her, and you're right. Bless her. You're right. Somebody in here knows me. And we oftentimes, through all of those years, talked about our plans and our goals and what we wanted. And how many kids we wanted, and how many kids we was going to have, and how big a... We even bought a vehicle one time because we said the truck ain't going to make it when we have kids. We did. Carrie drives that Jeep now. That's why we bought that thing was in intentions of having kids. We had two miscarriages. And no kids of our own. Been married 17 years. And no kids. Then Montana comes along. If we had it our way, we'd have had a Jeep full of kids before Montana, and we couldn't have done what we've done for her. Right? Now, see, when we were looking at the plan and our plans and the first part of our plans and looking at that situation going, God, this ain't fair. We don't have no kids. We want our kids. We're getting older and we want to start our family. And God's going, we got, i got a plan. Just calm down. And we're going, but I've got a plan. And, and it's not lining up. What we want is our kids. What we want is our family. When is it our turn? I'm not going to be able to have a football team and cheerleaders if I don't start pretty quick, God. But we just trusted Him. And some days it was harder to trust than others. But we trusted him, and we said, okay, God, whatever. Whatever you decide, we're just going to trust you. We're just going to go on and tell you, at this point, we don't like it, but we trust you. Now we sit back and look at it, and we go, you know, if we'd have had all them kids we wanted to have, there wouldn't have been no Montana. We We would not have been set up and prepared to handle it the way we've handled it. It couldn't have worked. So sometimes when we don't follow God's plans and don't trust God's plans and we interfere and try to make our own plans, then we ruin what God really has in store for us. Right? Because I wouldn't trade her for a football team and some cheerleaders. I wouldn't. Not today I wouldn't. Tomorrow I might. (laughs) Because someday she's hard to get along with. I just tell you. Ain't that right, Montana? Montana. Yeah, I know. It's trusting God, though. And, and you know, I, I, uh, we've started a new converts class, and Chastity and I had the privilege of teaching that this morning, and I heard her share that part of their story with a young lady for encouragement as well. They're, they're walking the same path, it seems like. They've got a three miscarriages, a failed adoption, and now they're raising a little Austin. But if they had it their way, they wouldn't have been set up to handle it the way they've been able to handle it. See, that, that's us trusting God. You've got to trust God. And sometimes God's plans don't look like the plans we have for ourselves. And we can't explain it and we can't write it. And it don't make sense. And you know what? Some days, it ain't fair. <laughs> but you've got to trust God. And once you make the decision to trust God, you've got to trust His timing. You've got to trust His planning. You've got to trust everything about it. And it ain't always easy because sometimes He says, go drink out of the brook and you're going, but I just called for a drought. (laughs) And it don't make sense and it don't add up. But you do realize God don't get glory from the possible. God gets glory out of the impossible. Right? That's where God gets glory is when it's impossible. Because when you and I do the possible, somebody just looks at it and explains it about how good we are. And how talented we are. But when the impossible comes in our lives, they look at it and go, Well, I don't know how that happened. And you go, I do. God done it. God gets glory for the impossible. So them hard times and those things that don't make sense, that's where God's getting glory. And remember, that's the whole purpose for us even being here is to give God glory, right? I mean, we're just here to give Him glory and that's all. So if we're not doing that and we can't do that, ain't no need us being here, Right? Right. Keep going with me. Verse 4. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Verse 5. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Look at this. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. He didn't go set up camp. He didn't go pitch a tent, right? This this wasn't, as far as he could tell, this wasn't a temporary deal. Elijah was planning on this possibly being his life from now on. He went and set up residence there, right? How many times do you and I sell out so much to God that we set up residence in His plan? Boy, we can do it temporarily. We'll try it for a day or two. We'll look at it from from time to time. But he set up residence. He lived by the brook. God said, I'm going to let you drink from the brook and I'm going to command the birds to feed you morning and evening. And Elijah was so sold out on and trusted him so much that he went and lived by the brook. He set up homestead. He didn't pitch a tent. I'm so guilty from time to time of, of saying, I trust you, God, I trust you, God, and then I go pinch my, pinch my ten in it. And I'm so proud of me. Then I think of people like Elijah and go, he built a house. <laughs> he set up residence. He lived there. He lived in the trust of God. He walked daily in the trust of God. That's the mindset and the mentality that I've got to take on. That when God gives me an instruction, I ain't got to ask him how long is this going to last. I got to build my house in it. I got to establish residence there. I got to take ownership of it. And not look at it as a temporary thing. And eight, uh, six. I don't got so far off of my notes, they ain't no counting to me, no way. <laughs> mm mm-hmm. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. Just like God said, right? That's what God told him was going to happen. He went and set up residence and I'll be dog. Guess what happened. Huh? How many times did God tell us what's going to happen and then we wake up surprised that it's going on? We shouldn't be surprised by God doing what he said he was going to do. We should never be surprised by that. Look at here. In verse 7, And after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And at this point I'd look up and go, I knew that God, I knew that was going to happen. You told me it was going to be a drought. You told me to tell that king it's going to be a drought. And you told me to go drink out of the brook. Now the brook's dry. Come on God, what are you doing, playing games with me? No, he's got a bigger plan. He's got a bigger plan. Is God surprised that the brook dried up? No, No, not at all. Did God miss that detail when he was writing out his plans? No, no, not at all. God knew it the whole time, but you know what? If God gave us his entire plan for our lives, it'd scare us to death. We'd just quit. (laughs) We'd just throw our hands up and go, oh, no, I'm not going through that. (laughs) No, No, I'm not signing up for that. Right, so it comes to us in steps, and it came to Elijah in steps, and and God's not surprised that the brook dried up. And as a matter of fact, I don't even believe Elijah is surprised that the brook dried up. But that didn't stop him from setting up residence. That didn't stop him from trusting God. He knows God's got a plan. He knows God's got something going on. Look here, verse eight. <clears throat> Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Sometimes in our our looking, sometimes in our trusting, sometimes in our walking, it appears to us as though God's plans have changed. God's plans don't change. Remember, He's all-knowing, right? He knows the whole story. He, al- he already understood that the brook would dry up, and he already knew that, that, that Elijah was going to need somewhere else to go and some other means of being taken care of, right? right? It didn't catch God off guard. The angels didn't go wake God up from his nap and go, you're not going to believe what happened, that brook ran out on Elijah. They've never woke God up from a nap. They've never told him something that had taken him by surprise. Never. See, that's what makes my God so trustworthy. That's what makes me capable of trusting Him is knowing that nothing keep, takes Him off guard. Nothing catches Him by surprise, right? He's never asleep on the job, right? That's why He's so trustworthy to me is because I know that He knows. And if, if I'm going to trust anybody, i got to trust Him. He's got to be first on my list of people to trust. Because he is so powerful. And he is so almighty. Listen, God's plan for Elijah did not change. That was his plan all along. Elijah's path changed. And it just came to Elijah. And it looks like a change. But it was God's plan. God knew the brook would run out. Look here. Now he's sending him to a different place. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. Well, imagine that. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And, and, and the lady evidently was okay with that. And as she was going to bring it, she, she was going to go get the water, he adds to her and he says, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said... As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Now, God has taken Elijah. He put him before one of the most evil kings that's ever ruled Judah. He told him to give him the bad news of the drought. He sends him to a brook that has run out Now he's going to tell him, he said, I've got a widow lady that's going to take care of you in this other place. Go there. He gets there, finds the lady, and finds out she ain't got nothing to eat. Her and her son's about to eat their last meal and die. What are you doing, God? What are you doing? Can I tell you what he's doing? He's showing Elijah that if you'll trust me, anything's possible. You know what he's trying to do in your life? He's trying to show you that if you'll trust him, anything is possible. Anything. Nothing is bigger than my God. He has sent the guy to a brook where there's a drought. Now it's run out. He sent him to a widow of a lady that she ain't got nothing to eat. She's fixing to cook her and her son's last meal. Huh? So who's going to get credit for all this? Elijah? The widow? The ravens? they ain't but one person that can take credit for any of this, right? See, that's how God sets it up. So when all is said and done, they can look at you and go, your God's a great big God. Right? It ain't so they can say what a great man I am. It ain't so they they can tell the world how, how smart I was. No, it's so God can get glory for it. That's why it oftentimes don't make sense in our lives. It ain't supposed to. Because if you can reason it out, God don't get no glory. It has to be impossible for you to do in order for God to get the glory for it look at what Elijah's facing look Look at this look, I mean look at the story look at the whole thing look at it as a whole I mean it's, it's crazy in our minds listen to this <clears throat> now Elijah has got to this lady and she ain't got, got enough food she ain't got enough flour or oil she's going to gather some sticks cook their last morsel eat it and die Now in verse 13, Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as I have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Do you realize the significance of what's just taking place? Do you see that God told Elijah there's a widow woman here going to take the whole time, the widow woman is starving to death. Her and her son starving. Okay? Elijah gets there, and she tells him, I ain't got nothing for you. I ain't got nothing for us to eat. Me and my son, thinking to have our last meal and die. Then the story goes, Elijah says, Just go do what you was going to do, except don't fix me one first. And, and just as God says, nothing's going to run out. Do you realize this lady just got saved? Her and her household? Do you realize that they did not die because Elijah trusted God enough to go to a place where he said go? Do you realize they were... fit? What happens if Elijah don't show up? They die. They They eat their last meal and die, right? But because Elijah was obedient, now somebody else is getting ministered to, right? Now this family is not going to die, right? Well, Almost. (laughs) Because in the next verse, guess what happens? <laughs> now, I'm, because of time, I'm, I'm going to go through it pr- kind of quickly because I want you to get to the end of this. After this, the son of the woman the mistress of the house became ill and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. This y- young man has died, right? Elijah, she, com- she comes to Elijah and goes, what is, what's going on? I mean, what, did, are you here to be, put me in remembrance of my sins by Taking the life of my son. And Elijah, give me the child. And he goes up into the upper room where he had been staying. By the way, as an indicator, once again, Elijah has set up residence here. He was living in the upper chambers. It wasn't a tent out in the backyard. He was living. He had set up residence here again, okay? The trust of God causes us to set up residence wherever he tells us to go. Not questioning when, how long we're going to be there. Not questioning how long it's going to take. Just set up residence and pretend like it's the last place you'll ever live. That's what Elijah did. He takes the young boy upstairs into his chambers, and then he cries out to God and goes, God, what are you doing to me? Now this woman's son has died. She has taken care of me. You have taken care of her. And now her son has died. Oh, Lord, have mercy. And he stretches himself out over the child. Listen, at this point, Elijah is scared. At this point, Elijah is confused. At this point, Elijah don't understand what's going on. All up until this point, we don't see none of this out of Elijah. He's just told, he speaks, he moves, he does, right? At this point, he takes the young man away from the presence of his mother because he don't want to see her, him having a breakdown in front of her. And he takes this child to the upper room and he throws himself out on the bed across the young man. And he cries out to God. Listen, trusting God don't mean you don't never have no fear. It don't mean you don't never have no questions. It don't mean you don't never have a breakdown. It just means that in everything that's going on, there ain't but one person you call out to. And that's God. He got me here. He's going to get me out of here. He called me to this. He's going to equip me for this. You've got to have that mindset and mentality. It doesn't mean you don't never shed a tear. It doesn't mean you don't never have days where it hurts. It don't mean you don't ever have days where you question it. What it means to trust God is that no matter what's going on, no matter how bad it appears, the first one I'm going to call out to is the Almighty. Amen? Amen? Because He can do it. He's capable. He's, he, the young boy's breath comes back into him and he comes down the steps out of the upper chambers and, and presents him back to his mother and goes, your son is alive. And what does she end with? Now, not, well. Not, that that's a different interpretation, actually. <laughs> but what it actually says is this. Now I know that you are a man of God, And that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. How great would it be to get to the end of this journey and people be able to look at me and say, according to not what you said, but according to the way you have lived your life, the way you handled other people, the way you responded to crisis, the way you responded to somebody coming at you, the the way you lived your entire life, I can tell that you are a child of God. Amen. Our purpose in this world is to give God glory. So our life should be a reflection of His glory. And when we get to the end of it, people should be able to look and go, Hey, I can tell you're a child of God. Not because of the shirt I wore or the bumper sticker on my car, but because of how I carry myself every day And the trust of God ought to just be running off of me. And listen, when you think God is using somebody to take care of you, He may just be using some you to take care of somebody. Look at all the things we just seen in this little short passage of Scripture. I want you to know something else: if you're gonna trust God, you got to trust His timing. This this took three years to play out three years and and I know that by verse 18 chapter 18 verse 1 after many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year see we read this and we go boy it's easy for Elijah to follow it all took place over three days no it's just three years Three year, over three years, he, he sat by a brook, set up residence, and was fed by the birds. The water runs out. He goes to a widow woman. She ain't got nothing when he gets there, according to what I'm reading. He's going to set up residence upstairs. He's living there. The young, the, young man, the young man gets sick and dies and comes back to life. All, this is a three-year period. Listen to me. It ain't all going to happen overnight sometimes. Sometimes you just pray all night long and you get up expecting everything to be gone and it ain't. Who you going to trust? If you're going to trust God, you've got to trust His timing too. Sometimes it takes longer than we want to. Do you think I wanted to be 17 years into my marriage when we had a kid that was 9 years old? Here's 17 years of marriage. Two people in the house for 17 years. Merry Christmas. Here's your 9-year-old. Thanks God, didn't see that coming. It don't always pan out the way we dream it in our minds. It don't always come to fruition the way we think it will. But listen, above anything else, you've just got to trust God. It ain't nothing in this world bigger than the God we serve, y'all. Listen, this is as important as it's ever been. The society that you and I live in is a disaster. It's falling apart every day. It's getting worse and worse. Listen to me. Over the last couple of weeks, I heard of a sixth grader taking their own life. A 15-year-old last Sunday whose birthday was Monday took their own life. Listen. Listen, it's so important that you learn to trust God so you can show others how to trust God. Because you think He's ministering to you when really He's ministering to others through you. So many people need to hear this gospel. So many people need to hear this story. So many people need to understand your only hope is in Christ, not nothing in this world. If your hope is in anything in this world, you're going to let that get, get let down. But if your hope is in Christ, you'll never be let down. Man, it's so important that we not only understand what it means and how it looks to trust God, but that we're willing to tell others. This ship's not going to get righted overnight. (laughs) In order for the world to know and understand The gospel of Jesus Christ, somebody's got to tell them. But first, got to know it. In order for this world to know and understand what it looks like and what it means to trust God, somebody's got to tell them. But you can't tell them if you ain't doing it. I can't tell them if I ain't doing it. It's not the easiest thing in the world, but above everything else in this world, you've got to trust God. And that means to trust His timing to trust his abilities, to trust his authority, to trust his power, to trust everything about it. And when he tells you to get somewhere, go set up residence like you ain't never going nowhere else. Don't go at it timid. Don't go at it half-hearted. Don't go in and pitch a tent. Y'all stand. I want you to have an opportunity this morning to... uh, to to come to this altar and, and, and get on your knees and cry out to God, whatever the situation is, whatever it is you're facing, whatever's going on. And listen, it may not be nothing for you right now. You may be in a great place spiritually right now. Everything may be going your way right now, and that's very well possible. So if that's the case for you, pray for your neighbor. Pray for your family. Pray for your friends. Look around and pray for them folks you don't see this morning. Look around and and pray for that person that you heard was in the hospital. Pray for that person you heard they lost a loved one. Pray for somebody, for something, for some reason. Cry out to God on someone's behalf this morning. And then trust, trust that He hears you and trust that He's got a plan for it, whatever it is. Amen?